This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Cardigans on. I know, I noticed. Look at you. Here was the great thing. When you walked in today into... uh, into the Embassy Rose podcast studio. Into the Men in Blazers world headquarters. You, uh, you were wearing a jacket and I believe tweed. some form of overcoat. A blue tweed. And you took off your jacket yeah. and your overcoat. Yeah. And then you took out of your bag a cardigan and put on your <laughs> cardigan to podcast. It was sort of like, is it Mr. Rogers who used yeah. to change his outfit before yeah. he did his TV show? Yeah. Did you put slippers on? It's like you put a, a, a jacket oh, on no, for you dinner. You got your lavers you on. You put a jacket on for dinner. Yeah. You put a cardi on for podcasts. <laughs> it's very Downton Abbey. The right clues. Put on black tie for dinner. For the right tasks. <laughs> I don't know. It's my favourite time of the year. I feel exhilarated. It's your pod cardigan. <laughs> we should, by the way, we, why don't we do this? We should merchandise pod cardigans. In your pub. Yeah, when in my we open pub. The pub. Oh, why don't I have a pub? Why don't you have a pub? I don't know why I don't have a you pub. You know, talking and without Lexi, action. why don't I have a pub? We've got to get a pub. Let's get on that. It's not right, David. Yeah, it's not it right. It really is. We have never talked about... Anything without executing on it more than we have the pub. Yeah. Well, I'm actually trying to think. There might be a long list of things we've talked about and not executed on maybe a few more than that. But it's definitely top five, the pub. <sighs> make it happen, David. Really, oh. really make it happen. Um, it's been an amazing weekend. It was. An, what amazing, an amazing weekend. What an amazing weekend. If you're not weekend. in the Mourinho household. What an amazing. Well, even if you're in the Mourinho household, an amazing weekend. I mean... Just a mind-blowing weekend of football. The reckoning. It was. It was a reckoning. There was a reckoning. It was all very. It was all very odd. But it wasn't. It was only probably the second or third most amazing thing on my television screen over the course <laughs> of the weekend, David. We've long maintained. Yeah. That the cast for kids commercial is the creepiest, most existentially chilling moment of television ever created. Yeah. It's inspired other global brands clearly mm. in their aesthetic and creative decision making now yeah. when they're trying to engage the American soccer audience by the way do not google Cars for Kids by the way do not google it you don't want to know too much about the organisation that puts it on but at the same time you really do want to know <laughs> yeah. far more because it is a disgusting we've talked about it before it's a one of the most disgusting rackets in American racketry <laughs> <laughs> racketry <laughs> in American 30 second commercial racketry you know yeah. This weekend I realised that the lead singer of the Cast for Kids band, yeah, to me, and I think I am probably the only person that thinks this because I tweeted it out and no one agrees. Is this with the me. little blonde boy or the yeah, girl? The little blonde boy, okay. not the girl with the fake glasses. Yeah. But the lead singer of the Cast for Kids band, he looks uh-huh. ever more to me like Christian Pulisic, but <laughs> a little older. Yeah. A little bit older. Anyway, the new commercial that yeah. I can't stop thinking about. Yeah how it was made, mm-hmm. who signed off on the creative. Yeah. And it's not Ed Felber meeting MVP. Yeah. Words which will send a chilling fear down the spine of anyone who watches more than three Premier League soccer games a weekend because it means that you've watched that 273 times over the uh-huh. course of 48 hours. It's burned onto your retina. It's the Jennifer Aniston Emirates commercial, Dave. Have you seen it? Now, look, I've seen it, but I've only seen it in the background. I want you to break it down for me. But this isn't the first Jennifer Aniston Emirates commercial. A year ago, maybe a year and a half ago... She's made a folks pa before. The first commercial, it was one of the most remarkable commercials. It was one of the... No, second Remarkable move. commercials I've ever seen in yeah. that she's having a nightmare that she's on a plane only in regular first class and there isn't a shower, a bar, 
and an individual sleeping pod for her. And it's a nightmare. And then she wakes up and she is in Emirates Ridiculous First Class with the dolphin show and the piano and the massages and everything you get. And obviously a shower um, in, uh, in first so class. So her, her nightmare was that momentarily in her dream she had she, to mix with the common people. Well, 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 the mega rich common people. Yeah. Rather than just like the elite, 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 elite mega rich. It was she a. She signed off on this. It, yeah, she signed off. Her people signed off on this. Yeah. And thought that it wouldn't be. The people in aren't big any on way, subtext, are they? Yeah, or, or the common people, evidently, or how Jennifer Aniston is viewed by the common people. Oh, she uh, essentially fears peasants. Her dreams are of moving back into the lower middle classes. She fears the top 1% of peasants, yeah, <laughs> it seems. It's, um, so what's God. the new co- what happens? I've seen it in the background and she's sitting around some kids, but yeah. what happens in the new commercial? I mean, it's like a mini movie trapped into 45 seconds of just the most depressing narrative that I think any Adweek executive reader uh, uh-huh. has ever created. It's all based around her creepy rendezvous with a little boy who somehow is wandering solo around the first-class cabin. Uh-huh. Probably the result of the world's most precocious audition since Halle Eisenberg became the Pepsi girl. probably needed a shower. (laughs) (laughs) The commercial just spirals quickly out of control, David. They they head together into the economy section to meet his parents. Uh First you meet the mother, I think. She instantly just fangirls and winks at the dad. You see Jennifer Aniston, she just winks Uh at the dad. It was like the look. Hello. Yeah, the look at it. You know that awful fiction, the celebrity free pass? Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. Do you, have, do, you have, do you have one in any of your relationships? <laughs> no, no, no. None of them are long enough, Rog. It's, it's, like, it's like a mythical agreement, if you don't know yeah. what it is, between you and your partner. Often uh-huh. in wedlock, that if you meet one known celebrity that I guess you mention and agree on, yeah. and there is an opportunity to sleep with that yeah. aforementioned celebrity. Grace Kelly would yeah. be the only person ever. <sighs> it's the only woman I've ever been truly attracted to on screen. And that... but. She's not with us anymore, unfortunately. But that moment in the rear window when, when her and James Stewart have that kiss in slow motion, I think it's the only time Hitchcock ever went into slow motion for that kiss. It's like, oh, I was when I first saw that at the age of 15. If I was forced to at pain of death, because this whole idea came By the way, Jimmy Stewart too, because I like Jimmy Stewart yeah, as well. Mine, yeah. mine would be Maggie Smith. In which role? As, as the as Dowager, Dowager Countess? Yeah. <laughs> be awesome. She, she's very amusing. Oh, it'd be sweet, sweet, sweet. It'd be, yeah. it'd be sweet, sweet lovemaking. Yeah. And then the V... Probably Marge Simpson. The third one would be James Earl Jones, probably. Yeah. Anyway, the okay, dad. The commercial, sorry. The dad. She winks at the dad. The dad, the camera focuses on him, and uh-huh. he just, uh, you've got to see it. I've pulled it, I've slowed it down and watched uh-huh. it in freeze frame. He just pulls the face of a man who's been giving her a restraining order for stalking Jennifer Aniston on more than one occasion. It is yeah. absolutely terrifying, but she's oblivious to it, Aniston. Can I just pause one second and just say, I think that, this already, what you've pitched me and what happens in, yep. this, in this commercial, yep. it smacks to me of a commercial written by committee. And the starting point was, you know, guys, we've been thinking, uh, this is Jennifer Aniston's people, that you know, Jennifer needs to be more with the common people. So we yep. feel in the second Emirates commercial, she really needs to leave first class and we need to have a reason for her to go and be in economy at yep. some point. That was the starting point. And this is the scenario they came up with. Continue. It is. And I imagine the creative was probably pitched to Emirates Airlines. I imagine Kestrel and, and Hawkers were probably nodding yeah. in the background. And there was, a, there was an Onyx casting couch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. The best kind of casting couch. Yeah, in a tent in the desert. I love it. And the mother is just like, let me do the logical thing in this situation. Yeah. I'm going to leave my latching husband alone with Rachel from Friends yeah. and just bunk off. And ditch my kids and head to first class uh-huh. and lay down 
in Rachel Aniston's bottom warmed Jennifer little, Aniston's in, in Jennifer Aniston's little bottom warmed yeah. kind of first class enclosure uh-huh. and she trades a chance to lie down I mean just how how awful American mothery is she would rather give her husband a chance to have a crack at Jennifer Aniston just for a 10 minute lie down that's just oh, mother's so work Jennifer is never Aniston done. gives the mother a chance to go and sleep in her or, first class. Or the class. mother just grabs a chance. It's unclear. They never communicate. But she's so shattered. The American mother is so shattered. She's just, she just goes off into first class. Aniston. So Jennifer Aniston has done a wonderful thing. She really has, like, she's taking care of the common in American inadvertent mother. Inadvertent charity is the best kind of charity. She's oblivious to everything. She's just uh-huh. overwhelmed by a screaming primitive yearning to hang out with some grating children in uh-huh. long-haul economy. Uh-huh. Anyone who's done that knows exactly how fun it is. It's like the flying equivalent of living in Sunderland. Are they grating children or are they rather sweet? Oh, they're, they're absolutely treacle saccharine. They're repulsive. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. The kind of children would have got pummeled back in Liverpool College yeah. back in the day. Who did the creative, David? Yeah. Who signs off on these things? Uh-huh. A better question for you because you are a television man. What ideas did they reject if this yeah. was the one they chose? I think we need to say at Where's the Where's our agent? Where's a manager? I think we also ought to just say at this point, before we get into this too deeply, and um, especially in light of the fact that we don't have an airline sponsor, we love Emirates Airlines. We're very big fans of the airline. We think your planes look beautiful. I love Kestrel. And we, we love Kestrel. I love Roo. Hawks. And, um, and every branch of Manchester City. But the... Um, uh, but who Lawrence doesn't think of Arabia is one Usually, of my favourite films? There's, there's a brand involved in this, Emirates. There are probably, there's a creative agency, there's a media buying agency. There are all sorts of consultants involved. Jennifer Aniston's agents, yeah. Jennifer Aniston, no doubt. Maybe Jennifer Aniston's partner. It's a lot of people involved. And were they all just momentarily blinded by the oil field, which they must have inherited in return for this performance, David? There was probably a fair amount of cash changed hands both to the agency, to the production company, the director, uh, and, the, uh, and to Jennifer Aniston herself. Oh, if anyone who worked on this commercial is a GFOP, yeah. and will talk to us off the record, yeah. I'll just say, we've got so many questions about what is... I mean, I would love to know what they're thinking of doing next, casting Brendan Rodgers yeah. in a commercial as some kind of life coach. Yeah. I can't think of anything as devastating. It's definitely the worst thing on television, apart from our show, which, by the way, returns 630 Next Monday for a Halloween special with Double M. Mike Myers, huge Liverpool fan. Yeah. Supermensch. A real Liverpool fan. A real, real Liverpool. I can't wait to be with him. Yeah, it's going to be good. Well, we're talking about great television icons. Yeah. Mazel tov to GFOP. Carl Martino. Oh, is that a boy? And his long-suffering wife, Eva. Yeah. On the button. Uh, not just a boy, Davo. Yeah. But a son. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big difference between a boy and a son. Major James. Well, meaning, meaning that it's actually his, not somebody else's. Major yeah. James. We Absolutely. wish the entire family yeah. of Sarandons yeah. and Martinos yeah. just a lifetime of happiness and health. Yeah, fantastic. And I know all of you are relieved that we have been told off the record by Kyle, so I'm not allowed to repeat it, yeah. that the names Major and James are merely formal and titular. Uh-huh. And the new baby will, of course, answer to the name, the nickname. Robbie. <laughs> of course, of course, the third Robbie. Uh, okay, Rog, we've got a packed show. We're going to recap Jose Mourinho's return to Stamford Bridge and Chelsea's 4-0 drubbing of his team, Man United. We look under the hood at a Man City side that's failed to win in five games but remains top of the table, and we recap Bob Bradley's first point as manager of Swansea City. Wardrobe change, plus we go all Joe Lenardi on the MLS playoff bracket and talk Christian Pulisic, 
to Barcelona rumours. To the football, Dave. Okay, crack open your Guinness, Rog. Let's get to the football. Good pouring. Good save, Rog. Very, very good save. Cheers, Rog. Cheers. To the football, David. The battle for the title. Just one point separating the five teams at the top. Yeah. It's tight. It is tight, Rog. It's tight. It's redefining tight, David. And two of them are Liverpool and Arsenal. Big dreamers both. Going to go out on a limb. Say that this could be the greatest title race since last year, David. Okay, 9.38 of the way through the Premier League season. As you said, a peloton of five teams within one point of each other at the top of the table. Well, let's start with the big game of the weekend, Rog. Chelsea, four, Man United, (sighs) nil. Antonio Conte's (laughs) side systematically dismantled Man U, beginning just 30 seconds into the game when Pedro, Rog, Pedro rounded David De Gea and slotted home. Gary Cahill... Eden Hazard and N'Golo, goal sensation N'Golo Kante added uh, three more, causing Kante to go all Mick Jagger, flapping his arms about to pump up Stamford Bridge. Well, uh, Stamford Bridge was getting outsung by Man United at that point, much to the annoyance of Jose Mourinho. Chelsea moving to fourth, just one point behind City, Arsenal and Liverpool, United a seventh. Got nothing to say about this game, let's move on. Yep, Everton. (laughs) <laughs> Swansea uh, okay Rog my god yeah my god yeah god yeah this was a game that just I mean it transcended football David yeah gave us to me not to be hyperbolic I think gave us one of the most amazing moments in the history of situational moral philosophy hmm because this was a day in which Chelsea Football Club Diego Costa and Eden Hazard's Chelsea Football Club they seem like the good guys yeah and Mostly because Jose Mourinho was such a bad hombre. And good they were, David, because they ran riot. They humiliated Jose, inflicting his heaviest ever Premier League defeat. And they proved, David, a life lesson which, for me, didn't need proving, but it was fascinating to watch. And that is that there's no human motivation more powerful than revenge, hatred and bad blood. I'm so curious, so curious. <laughs> what do you say, hate with reason, Roger? That's yeah, your thing, isn't these, it? These, That's th- your this thing. Chelsea team, David, they played as if they had many, many good reasons. I, I, I want to hear, I've been dying to hear your emotional experience at the outset, David, watching the greatest manager Chelsea have ever had yep. returning to Stamford Bridge mm-hmm. in a Manchester United blazer, mm-hmm. walking onto that field to the all-too-familiar sound of the liquidator, Chelsea. Yeah. What did you feel in that second? Uh, well, let's just go a little bit before that second, and I'll get to that second. Coming in, obviously, you had Man United, you know, that nil-nil. You know, they drew last weekend against Liverpool. It seems that in the, in the rewriting of it, somehow it was such a terrible performance, so negative that they lost it. But they drew against Liverpool. And in midweek, they sort of seemed to awake from their goal slump, and they had a very big win in the Europa League. Uh, but Against a very, very big Turkish win. tractor engineers. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was a win nonetheless. And sort of there was a feeling coming in like... Pompers oh, back! Yes, Man United could be coming back. That was sort of my first feeling. The second thing was, okay, Antonio Conte, he has gone to the three at the back. It didn't really work that well against Arsenal. But it did start to look like it was working against Leicester. But a Leicester team uh, without Mares, without Slomani. And... Um, what, uh, you know, it's still a work in progress, Chelsea. What would they go and do? And then what you're really referring to, the sort of the revenge cycle for key Chelsea players, Hazard, 
definitely Costa, one assumes. Some of the players who it was rumoured were very, very unhappy. The three rats? Yeah, well, Fabregas wasn't playing, but very unhappy in the Jose Mourinho era. Um, it can sort of, I sort of felt it could go one of two ways. It could either go, they would be amazing, they would be inspired, or they could almost be frozen by it. They could almost be like, care about it, too passionate, care about it too much. Uh, the revenge cycle, David. Oh, I love that. It makes me want to go off, find Philip Glass and write a little opera that will debut yeah. at uh, Joe's Pub. That's going to be the name of my autobiography, actually, the revenge cycle. Because for me, seeing Jose Mourinho as a red at Chelsea, I mean, it was less Steve Spurrier taking his game cocks back to the swamp. It was just more like, oh, it was the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. It was like watching iced tea at a lemonade stand. I mean, it's less because he's the old leader with the new team, ex-husband turning up at an old partner's second wedding. More just that he was once so invincible, David, mm. this Jose Mourinho fella. And he now seems so very vincible. Very vincible indeed. And here he was, coming in to face up to the rats who betrayed him amongst scenes of, quote, palpable discord last season. And it, he seemed lost before a ball had even been kicked, David. Mm. We didn't get too much time to dwell on that, as no, you say, because the portents and the symbols that I love to wallow in, Dave, I was only allowed to do it for 30 seconds. The ball dropped opportunistically between Blint and Smalling. Both, God, they just hesitated. They froze. David De Gea, exquisite David De Gea, just charged out. It was almost too early for him to have his game focus on. And Pedro just slid in, rounded De Gea, fastest Premier League goal uh, this season. Could you believe it? What scenes were there in the Davo house? Well, it was a, in my kids do a wonderful impression of how I react when Chelsea score. I have a number of go-to moves. Uh, and this was just the stunned disbelief. I barely moved at this point. Remarkably, because it was Pedro, Rog. This is Pedro. This was yes. Pedro's first shot on goal all season. And Pedro, within 30 seconds, goes and scores in this massive, <laughs> massive game. Um, I immediately texted my friend Bruce. Bruce, my mate who you've met, Bruce is at his first ever Chelsea home game at Stamford Bridge. He's a big Chelsea fan. When Pedro slotted the ball home, my immediate thought was really just, Bruce, Bruce is experiencing this. And it happened pretty close. Our seats are right there on the edge of the penalty area uh, at that end of the ground. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, Bruce had such a view of that goal. So my first thought was really Bruce. But it was, you know, you mentioned Smalling Bruce and Bruce was Blint. probably being urinated on by the man behind him with a rolled-up programme. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. In the, but I know we're going to obsess about the Jose Mourinho narrative on this game, and I know that's what you're going to take. I know that's what our listeners are going to be obsessed with. I know that's what the media have been obsessed with. But I'm also so interested and was, throughout this game, just obsessed with looking at those Man United players. These are elite elite players these are massive humans I think the commentary team picked that up just the size of these Man United players they all of them Blint Smalling earlier this season Baye they've looked invincible at times you look at the size of Zlatan you look at the size of Pogba you look at these individual players you look at the goalkeeper that David De Gea is you look at these people they are just freezing and we can very conveniently in the media put all of the blame on Jose Mourinho on this or say that his text messages that he sends them before the game or something about the way he's handling them. But watching the way that the actual athletes taking coaches and managers out of the game, watching the way that these players just folded throughout this game was fascinating to me. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go goal by goal through that, but I just love that first goal. I mean, who are you? The Chelsea fans, led by Bruce, taunted Mourinho. United 1-0 down. Unclear if they were trying to taunt, actually, Jose, or they were asking Pedro, who are you? Who are you again, little child man? We've never seen anybody with your number on uh-huh. perform like that at Stamford Bridge. And I love how after the game, Mourinho tried to explain the loss. It was the early goal. I mean, as if it was some kind of freak of chance, like a bad refereeing decision, a cruel piece of luck. Because to me, when you want to get a measure of any big team, Davey, there's few better ways to see the values that the team bear than when they concede so early in a big game. Yeah. I mean, their response tells you so much of what you need to know about their fibre, their self-confidence, their tactical flexibility, their mental state. And United, as you're saying, I mean, it's just lukewarm. At best, they struggle to channel the game down the flanks. Slatan, second week on the run, missed a header from close range at a crucial time. And you watch Chelsea, who, by the way, lost in a lot of this. Chelsea had a very, very good game. I mean, the muscle with that improving Matic that we've been waiting for, that you've been longing for for over a year, driving United backwards, Fellaini struggling to get any forward momentum at all, Pogba continuing his anonymity. I mean, Mm. the only good thing you could say about him is at least he's consistent, consistently crap. I mean, he almost had to get booked in the second half so that we recognise he was still on the field. At Joe Park 20, summed up that first half, he said, United have brought a Pogba to a Pedro fight. And you've got to explain to me, because you know Mourinho better than I do. You've watched him. You've really thought and kind of wallowed uh, in his schema. But he's made his reputation by one thing, emasculating opponents with his defence. I mean, he takes such pride traditionally from just rendering opponents absolutely impotent. Yeah. And that second Chelsea goal, it must have disgusted him to his court. Yeah, I mean, a terrible goal for a Mourinho team to concede. A ball coming into the box. They missed the first header. It rebounds off a player. Herrera. And uh, Gary Cahill uh, puts it away. Just, I think, off Blint's bum. Yeah. He bummed it in, in the yeah. end, Rod. With Smalling, lesser defender, more a man with a seat incredibly close to the action. And Gary Cahill, I mean, wow. Bedraggled! Yeah. Shouted Arlo White with the word catching dull. Just gorgeously in the back of his throat and the cameras turn to the sideline Jose looking ever more like how I imagine Gavin Rossdale when he catches footage of Gwen and Blake canoodling on Access Hollywood just the level of emotional suffering that must have been going through him yeah two terrible defensive mistakes to concede the first two goals yes Chelsea opportunistically took advantage of them Chelsea certainly in this system playing very, very good football. But the kind of goals you do not expect to see Man United concede. You do not expect to see a Jose Mourinho side to concede. And you expect a Jose Mourinho side to have a tactical ability to force themselves back into the game, Dave. Especially against a defence that includes David Luiz and Gary Bloody Cahill, who's like, to me, is the corky St. Clair of football. And also, you expect a Jose Mourinho team, and especially a team that looks like a Jose Mourinho team, by the way, Rog, in terms of their physical size and their physical prowess and what Chelsea teams have done with this sort of size which Chelsea have always had under Mourinho is that they physically batter teams in the centre of the park they've always just like battered them in the centre of midfield and players who you don't realise how big they are like Lampard you don't realise how how aggressive Lampard is in the tackle until you go and see him play in 38 inch waist yeah he's a large man a large hips Rog and so his teams just stood off just throughout the game. It seems they're so confused by this system 
that Antonio Conte has brought to the Premier League, or returned to the Premier League, by the way, that they just couldn't get anywhere near Chelsea's midfield. And there was just no pressure. And that was the most remarkable thing, to watch a Mourinho side, to watch a Man United side, to watch players of this physical prowess just consistently put no pressure. Other than Lingard, I thought, who was harrowing Courtois, harrowing the back three all day. I thought they just put so little pressure on the ball. And there were brief moments in the second half they threw on Juan Mata. Yeah. You know, you've got a new tactical role, Juan. You're no longer just a scapegoat. Had to, he was going to be the point of attack. He yeah. was going to really be kind of like a brain that could activate the nervous system. Fellaini off, Mata on. There were kind of flickering movements. He brought the ball forward quicker. But overall, just the lack of movement, the lack of pace was just stunning. Poor Marcus Rashford suddenly looking his age, David. <laughs> and talk about playing his age. Zlatan. Yeah. I mean, he looks over 40 league ready right now. Yeah. And Pogba. Paul Labiel Pogba. At SoccerFoot1, asked us, he asked a 30 for 30 question, really. He wrote in and said, is Paul Pogba Man United's Brian Bosworth? It's so odd. I mean, I watched him midweek, Rog, and he was fantastic in that midweek game. And you can talk about the competition, but even just take away the competition, just look at the way he's playing the ball, just look at his confidence, look at his uh, deportment, look at the way, every aspect of the way he played that game. And then you look at him... He was just shrinking, and you just saw Man United players. This is the most frightening thing, I would say, for Man United. Forget about, look, there may well be a Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho may well be over. The game may well have passed Jose Mourinho by. I just don't believe those things. But these Man United players, the most, whether this is within the players, or, by the way, Jose Mourinho has to take responsibility for this, is that his players shrunk. They literally shrunk in a big situation. And that is what you don't expect to see. Yeah. I could not agree more about that. I mean, finishing the Pogba issue, because it is a great question. And to me, he's very, very Ryan Leaf when you look at the structure. But anyone who watched Pogba at Juventus will know he's a fantastic, a fantastic football player. As opposed to the facsimile of the Pogba that United brought from a shop in Chinatown. Just an indicator of how things are just completely lost in that Manchester United locker room. And when things went south, as they did so quickly... It is the astonishing thing about that game in retrospect is that United had no leadership on the field. Absolutely. No one wanted to step up and fight. Reminded me a little of Arsenal last season when things went down and we're looking at Mertesacker. Why are you not screaming at this team and leading them back into the game? At United, to try and step up would be to draw attention to yourself and to draw attention to yourself will make you a target for the tabloids once the final whistle goes. And I think right now, all of these players know that Jose Mourinho is going to get it. So they just want to get through the final whistle, get off the field. And uh, as a result, there was just no spine. It was just a month ago where they were talking about Zlatan is the leader who will inject a will to win in this side. Nothing, David. By the way, and that's the, this is both the upside and downside of Rooney. Rooney has been the only leader on this team. He's now taken out of the team. There's no leader because Rooney... Obviously, he has a large persona in that dressing room where nobody else can go and take it. Um, And and you talk about will to win. You've got to look at Chelsea, how badly they wanted to win this game. Diego Costa, Azahad, both tracking back to make key defensive tackles, something Mourinho wanted to do so badly last season. Spike tracking. Spike tracking. Working hard, propelled by hate. Few feelings are more rewarding than yeah. hate defending, David. Yeah. I mean, Hazard also spiked goal scored. Yeah. Matic found the vengeance-hungry Belgian. Yeah. I mean, poor Smalling, just there is like, kick me, yeah. kick me. 
I mean, Chelsea seems to just want to humiliate him in ever more inventive fashion. Yeah, that Cut third inside. goal, that oh. third goal, Hazard with uh, just made that run. Nobody saw him go. Like you could see it coming a mile away, and then Hazard like makes that run in uh, in the back, gets the ball, and just slots it past David De Gea. Phenomenal you just saw finish, it coming like, a mile off. Oh, one of the three rats, just an undoubted wizard. Only he will know. Only he will know exactly why he was unable to score in his last 27 appearances under Jose Mourinho in his Chelsea days. You're not special anymore, screamed the delirious Chelsea faithful to the man they once worshipped. Now back as a false god, Davo. And the look on Mourinho's face as Kante oh, rolled home that fourth with ease. Well, what a goal that was. An amazing, amazing finish. Kante all over the pitch. By the way, he'd had, I think with Dave... Rods, those two players had had an amazing, amazing game. Uh, Kante uh, sort of cuts in from the uh, just outside the penalty area. That turn, who knew he had that little turn in him? Not Mrs. That sort Kante. Of drift move, move to the right Not mummy Kante. and uh, slots at home. Not Fantastic really goal. Kante. Just his second goal yeah. in the Premier League, off only his seventh shot mm. in the 46 games he's played. A goal which, of course, I don't even need to say this, it involves Smalling yeah. and Pogba not tracking back. As the United players at that point, I, I, United reminded me, Dave, in terms of their application and tactical discipline of 2015-2016 Chelsea. Yeah. It was eerie yeah. to watch them just shirking basic, fundamental yeah. defensive responsibility. At which point, Stamford Bridge broke out in a chorus of Jose Mourinho, less a tribute, more a piss take, as a few others riff, probably led by Bruce, you're going to get sacked in the morning. Well, and also Jose Mourinho crashed the bus was the other song that was ringing out from the Chelsea fans. And all that was left, and you've got to explain this to me, Davo, that weird Roos Bolton-esque whisper into Conte's ear at the final whistle, which you knew was just classless the second that you saw it. Stormed off without giving Conte a second to reply. Experience has taught us, Davo, a one-sided Mourinho conversation. It's rarely fraternal. Yeah, and also... <laughs> Also, Conte's reaction to it. I mean, just completely and utterly puzzled by the, by the entire thing. It was very clear, apparently, to everybody in the stadium what was going on and what Conte was doing. It wasn't Chelsea fans, I think, had actually been uh, full of song, full of voice throughout the entire game. It was a great atmosphere. Big games usually are uh, a good atmosphere in, in that stadium. Chelsea fans had sung all day. But at the end of the match, and credit to the Man United fans, at the end of the match... The Man United fans were out singing. They sparked the up Chelsea their George fans. Best tribute, the yeah. Spirit in the Sky song. Chelsea, they were bored. They'd done yeah. it. And uh, the Man United fans were out singing them. And Conte at that point went to his own fans to say, come on, don't uh, let the Man United fans out sing you at home. What a great point. A Kloppian move. Yes. To reinforce the bond between the fans and the players. Yeah. One that pays dividends down the road where the manager, of course, is the intermediary yeah. conductor. Yeah. I mean, when Moo whispered in his ear, my initial suspicion was that he was taunting Conte. Something like, you might have won this round, but you will never have the sway to book a table at Wings on a Saturday night. By the way, though, it's exactly the same thing. Mourinho, whatever Mourinho said, I know it was picked up by the Italian broadcasters. He actually said, you don't wind up the crowd at 4-0, you do it at 1-0. It's humiliating. But he's not saying it for that moment. Mourinho is playing a long game. This is about building a rivalry against Conte, in the, assuming he's not sacked in the morning, in the long term, taking a long term view of it. Yeah, I mean, this was the man who used to take pleasure in shaking the hands of opposing managers and then walking down the tunnel while <laughs> the know. game is still going winning on. was still going on. Yeah. So reacting to Conte raising the roof is quite phenomenal. Yeah. And the honest truth is, Conte's behaviour shouldn't have humiliated Jose. His team's abject play should have done that for him. Yeah. I mean... 
there's a huge concern for you. But United. he's done that. He's criticised his players. He can't go back there again. He's got to find some <sighs> that's, new... That's he's got to find a new narrative. He's already worn that one out. I, mean, it wasn't just, I didn't think about it that he was trying to create a new rivalry as more just throw out a smokescreen to draw in the press who and like a little love bit of that to too. jump on any kind of fresh meat and that would be the headline. Yeah. Um, I mean, the big concern if I was a United fan is that you look at Jose Mourinho going into clubs. He's not a slow builder. He's not a slow build. I mean, we've talked about him before in the words of Doug Plank, the Chicago Bear in the 1980s, who described Mike Ditka by saying there's three kinds of coach. The aspirin coach, who's essentially the player's manager, the nice guy. The penicillin coach, the normal guy. And then the chemo coach, who just charges into a club and blasts at everything to instantly create a winning culture, which is what Mourinho does. He circles the wagons. He gets down to the task of winning the championship almost immediately. And when Mourinho's teams, they don't win immediately, Davo. Darkness, destruction, despair typically descend. Got to brace yourself for turbulence right now because what troubles me most, Jose on the sidelines and the press conferences, he just doesn't seem like a happy man. Yeah. A man in total control. And without total control, Although Jose just can't project mm. his most important message, which is utter confidence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it never comes across in press conferences, even when he's, when he's winning, Rog, that he's a particularly happy man. Yeah, but he just, but seems, he just seems right now like weary middle manager, yeah. tired of managing upwards. It's very odd. I don't completely get it. I don't completely understand it. Look, I mean, Conte is doing a much better job at Chelsea than Mourinho was doing last season. He's got the same squad, but he's deploying that squad in a very different ways. He's got rid of Fabregas. Terry is injured. He doesn't have to worry about that Ivanovic has been dropped. He's found a different system. And a lot of credit goes to Conte to finding a different system. And by the way, Rog, one of the reasons, maybe not you, but one of the reasons some people are finding Chelsea more likable is, yes, Mourinho's gone. Yes, uh, John Terry's not playing. David Luiz, he's hilarious. And uh, they're playing attractive football. This is, very, this is a very attractive style of football to watch. It's a... It's, been a long time since yeah, we've been Moses able to. His team now, like, pretty much, my God, uh, it's been it's a very long time since Chelsea have played this kind of football. And it also, you know, for those who like watching hard defensive football, I thought Chelsea also defended very well in this game as well. But let's not also forget that this scoreline. I say this even as a Chelsea fan, it did flatter Chelsea. They scored at incredibly key times. Yes, I don't think. Yes, Man United should have bounced back after that 30-second goal, but scoring a goal within 30 seconds changed the nature of the opening of the game. That defensive uh, corner mistake, that came at a perfect time for Chelsea to go ahead 2-0. Man United desperately trying to get back into the game. Chelsea go up 3-0, and the end was just the icing on the cake. It was already over at 3-0. So I think the scoreline is a little bit flattering. I don't think Chelsea are that much further ahead than Man United at this point, I don't think Man United will continue to be bad, but something has to happen between Mourinho and his players to get that relationship right. Because these players, these individuals with such a potential as a football team should not be performing like this. They should not be shirking. They should not be shrinking like this. Yeah, I mean, hence Jose's preoccupation in press conferences, lashing out at the footballing Einsteins who know better. I mean, it's just a sign of how befuddled he is right now to me because you just know that he's suppressing the desperate desire to do what Mourinho does, which mm. is to lambast the players and hang them out to drive. But he knows he can't hit that button because it just led to implosion, complete implosion. He can't even at go Chelsea at the refs. Last, yeah. He can't even go at the refs for the for Louise should have been red carded because he, he's used the anti-ref thing already. We have watched so many Joe Says and we have been delighted 
by much that he's done, particularly in that first spell at Chelsea, the young, mischievous tactical master, the mm. eternal winner, the returnee from exile, the slightly homeless garbage recycler, the paranoid, ultimately vanquished. And now it's a new Mourinho, Davo. It's like a wizened elder whose magic has just deserted him. The only option for him is to become a mad oracle hermit in yeah. the Blue Mountains at the end of the range. At Jovo558 said, that moment you realise you're the new specialist in failure. And the thing that made this so fascinating to watch is the morality tale of it all. Because like Brian Williams before him, Mourinho just made so many diverse enemies. Eva Caniero, Arsene Wenger, Wayne Rooney, and now Mkhitaryan, Bastian Schweinsteiger amongst yeah. them. And when he loses, it feels less like a three points dropped. It feels more like the comeuppance in like a fairy tale for the bad guy uh, at the end of the story. He's now won just one of his last six Premier League games. If you built a United power rankings, I think DC United would be in at number one. Huge number of Uniteds in between them. Second to last, United Airlines customer service, which is universally terrible. Right at the bottom of the list, you'd have to put right now this Manchester United team mm-hmm. who are in a real state. They face Manchester City. Well done, narrative writers. In yeah. the League Cup, round yeah. the 16. Mm-hmm. Pep against Mourinho. Two men who were meant to be the most charismatic leaders in football. Both just have two points in the last three Premier League games. They're on the precipice of being on the precipice. And then for United, Burnley, Swansea follow. Two winnable games that will ultimately be must-wins to get this season back on track. Where you were going with Chelsea, Davo, what a difference a month makes. September 24th, yeah. Arsenal smashed them 3-0. Yeah. We were you know, discarding them. A month later, they're like a different club, one with spine, with width, with attacking options. Mm. Believe, Davo. Well, believe. and out of the depths, you know, uh, you know, Chelsea rose. That Actually, that Arsenal game was the turning point. That was the first game in which Conte played this 3-5-2 system, uh, whatever it is, 3-5-1-1. And this system works with the players he's got. You know, Victor Moses, this is the perfect position on a field for Victor Moses. Dave Aspilicueta, a different player playing within a back three than playing... They're going to win it all. You know, right? No, I don't they, think they are. I think it's all. still a work in progress. But look, it's attractive football. I think they were fortunate um, to win by so much. But it was an impressive performance and nice to see them playing that kind of football. One final thing on Mourinho and Man United. Just as you were talking, I was thinking, because you mentioned 0405 Mourinho. Remember that team, 0405, 0506? He had those leaders. He had Lampard. He had Drogba. He had uh, Petacek. He had some amazing, amazing players. He had leaders on that team. I think he had the same thing at Inter. I think he had the same thing at Real Madrid. Coming back at United, it might be why he held on so hard to Rooney. Mourinho can only thrive when he's got big characters, big leaders who can handle how to go and manage the rest of the players and almost soften Mourinho a little bit and make it okay. He doesn't, he's so isolated in this role at Man United, and he's just got a bunch of superstars. None of them are really stepping up. I think the point that when they were down, no one was really talking, no one was really shouting, no one was taking other players by the scruff of the neck and pushing them on. That's what he needs to find. And it might be why Rooney has to uh, come back into that team. Needs a new Phil Jones. Yes, Rog, Phil Jones could be the answer. And Bastian Schweinsteiger, apparently, according to the papers, could be the answer to all his problems. What question is Phil Jones not the answer? To? <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Uh, Man City won. Southampton won. Another stumble for Pep, 
whose side hasn't won in more than a month. Southampton took the lead in the 27th minute when Nathan Redmond latched onto an errant John Stones back pass that gave <laughs> you no pleasure whatsoever and rounded Claudio Bravo to turn the ball in. City drew level through substitute yeah, Hinacho in the Ugh. 55th minute. That point keeps City top of the table. Their goal difference just one better than Arsenal's. Yeah, wild times at Manchester City. Best of times, the worst of times. Yeah. Fresh off the humbling pistol whipping that was Barcelona 4, mm-hmm. Manchester City nil, the heaviest away defeat of Pep's managerial career at his once safe and happy place, the mm-hmm. Catalan Cathedral. It is Camp Nou. Oh, David, those early season whispers of the possibility of an undefeated season. They now seem like fishbones stuck in City fans' throats. We're only nine games in, Rog. There's yeah. so much narrative still to come. But the ten wins that City rattled off at the beginning yeah. of the season, they feel like ancient history. Pep entered this game having to defend the entire treatise of his philosophy. There will be no change until the last day of my career as a coach. I will try to play for our keeper, he said stubbornly. And so he did. And the thing that's fascinating about the City team is just how many stars have become suspect Mm. so quickly. And not just Claudio Bravo, that EA Sports FIFA glitch come to life. I mean, Kun Aguero, suddenly suspect. The always suspect John Stones, Play alongside the once talismanic, now suddenly suspect Vincent Company, back for his first Premier League start since April. Mm. I mean, question marks, front to back. And so it was no surprise that sloppy City, lethargic in their passing from the off, and for the fifth game running in all competitions, they went behind. Yeah, absolutely, Rog. And, you know, their defence. And their defence is what is giving other teams confidence. Yes, you might want to go and play it from the back, but it is delighting. It's delighting opposition attackers and midfielders. They're the masters of self-sabotage, David. Yeah, John Stones, a sloppy back pass. Some have blamed Claudio Bravo. I, I find it hard to put this on the Chilean uh, keeper, but I think, you know, really, John Stones, what was he thinking? Someone wants on company for being out of position in that back three, but to me, John Stones, I mean, less a defender now, more a malfunctioning host on Westworld. Mm. And Michael Chapman tweeted us, I picture Pep interrogating a naked John Stones in a glass room in the bowels of the Etihad after the final whistle. Mm. And within 90 seconds, and I took no pleasure in this, David, the torture of poor John Stones continued. He popped home a free kick from close range charged away to punch the air only to find out it was offside while suspended in midair the most <laughs> awful of human emotions I've got to say given the choice between celebrating an offside goal yeah and crapping myself in public yeah on a, I do not want that to happen to me uh huh I, I pick the pants you really every Every Yeah, it would be situational. It would depend where I was. If I was in a country where I didn't know anybody, I'd definitely crap my pants. (laughs) Mike Sell said, from crap to living the dream to toilet tone disappointment in under a minute, you could just see poor John's brain synapse. I took no pleasure in it at all. And for the first time in 15 games during the pet regime, his city failed to register a shot on target in the first half. Yeah. And I'll say, since Yom Kippur, David, Mm. I've been trying. We've talked about this. To just cut down on my Schadenfreude intake. Yeah, I know. You know t- it, it's also timed with you starting to wear the cardigan more. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, we're, seeing a softer, ge- we're seeing a softer, gentler rod. I'm trying to take pleasure in others' misery yeah. less. Yeah. But as kind of city... Although you're already your comments just during this segment about John Stones <laughs> have kind of obliterated that. <laughs> Producer JW and I exchange a look every time you I refer think, to John Stones. I think they're objective. Yeah. That wasn't Sheldon yeah. Freud. As, as they cut around the ground at halftime and the cameras caught the faces of Manchester City fans who'd all looked like they'd just been given a bare-bottom spanking, 
it was an amazing human emotion to just witness. Yeah. City, always a work in progress, always another piece to come, always about to find the crock of gold at the end of the rainbow. The money they've spent, Pep's coronation, the run of early games unbeaten. And now this, it just was not meant to be that way. It was just so remarkable watching Man City, Pep Guardiola's Man City, attempt to get back into this game by playing as dirty as they possibly could. It was honestly a bit like watching West Bromwich Albion or like vintage Stoke watching Man City come back into the game. It was just uh, remarkable. My mate Say made that point to me and it was so, so accurate. And KDB yanked off at halftime, Ihenacho thrown on. Mm. God, I love that man. Yeah. He's the economist's favourite footballer. 11 Premier League goals from just 17 shots on target in his career. And he mm. had an impact within 10 minutes. Oh, an exquisite ball. A full half length of the field. Sané tamed it and fired it at Hinacho. He netted his third goal of the season from close range. What I admired was how brave Southampton remained. I mean, they kept, most teams would have shut down. They kept looking for that second rather than conserving the point. Redmond charging forward at every opportunity. Ultimately, they seemed to gas themselves out, Southampton. City threw every attacking log on the fire. Gundogan and even Jesus Navas, who is more like a twig to throw on the fire. He's not scored a league goal. I love this stat in 1,009 days. Oh, Southampton's defending was outstanding. Font, Van Dijk. City could dent the back line, couldn't break them. And now, Dave, you look at this. Two points from home games against Everton, now Southampton. You have City staying top but booed off the field by their home fans at the final whistle. How do you understand it? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you could... I mean, I think we said last week that City's result against Everton felt like an aberration with the two penalties saved by Stecklenburg. The midweek loss to Barcelona, that was a little galling. This was just a very, very poor City performance. A really poor City performance. And you've got to credit Southampton. But uh, this was a more worrying performance for City. Yeah, I mean, Pep towards the end just looks so frazzled mortal even with his collar open and his tie skewed off to the side yeah. as he watches his team go five matches without a win for the first time since he was manager of Barca in 2009 kept his team in the locker room for 50 minutes after the game would only say cryptically the red wine was good and I took a little bit longer with my glasses yeah that but means that he was uh, basically twirling around a bottle of red wine, trying to hit them with it and throwing glasses at them as well. Yeah, the way they've been playing at the moment, he probably missed. The press asked him what's wrong with the team and he said, you know, I'm not quite sure, which means he either doesn't know or more likely that he just doesn't want to wear it publicly. He got quite snappy with the English media. He told them in seven years, I've won 21 titles. Sorry, guys, I'm going to go home before I change. He's going to stick to this way of playing. But when you think about Pep, he's a man of detail, a man of precision. You can be a man of detail and a man of precision in the Spanish league, in the German league, where the games are kind of paced. The big games, you have time to prepare for them. But the English league against these Southamptons, the Bournemouths, the Burnleys, even the Middlesbroughs, who just play such organised, disciplined football. And they're not like, it's not like rolling into Stuttgart where you know you're going to blast five goals. Something's got to give. And he seems like a man whose preparation is not what he needs it to be. He doesn't have enough time to train with his players between key clashes to gain that precision. And when you don't have precision, you either have it or else things go awry. And at City, over the past month, things have gone very, very awry. Quick word on Southampton. I mean, God, I admire them so <clears> much. Pillage season after season. Best players plundered. Managers prized away. But they just continue. That style of determined, organised football. Tactically brilliant, I think, in this game. Real testament to the organisation. 
and the club culture that they fostered that it just keeps going on and on and on, no matter what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Man City, Pep has got to figure out a way, I think, to adjust his system a little bit to compensate for not only playing in the Premier League, but playing in England with the, um, you know, on these kind of pitches and in front of these kind of fans with this amount of passion, with this amount of atmosphere. Um, it just needs an adjustment. You know, it's like there isn't a single sport where you don't adjust the way you play for the conditions that you're playing in different countries and for the players he actually has on his team, Rog. OK, Liverpool 2, West Brom 1. The Saturday afternoon Tony Pula showcase on Network <laughs> NBC. A symphonic team goal capped by Sadio Mane gave Jurgen Klopp's side the lead in the 20th minute. Coutinho added a second 15 minutes later. West Brom's Gareth McCauley pulled one back nine minutes from time with one for the crap goal Hall of Fame. Liverpool joined City and Arsenal on 20 points. They are third on goal difference. <sighs> Liverpool guilty of slow starts this season. Not in this game. With Lallana back, they found their rhythm so much quicker. 20th minute. Oh, what a goal, Davey. Mane smacking home. A stunning opener, which had, I think, seven outfield players, yeah. 13 touches from one end to the other. Involved a cunning dummy, an exquisite dummy by Coutinho. An architect's cross by the explosive Firmino. And just an assassin's finish on the volley by Mane. Truly beautiful Klopp goal. I mean, he's talked in the past about heavy metal football. This was just, this was fantastic. It was like, yeah, this Su- was a guitar solo. It was like Sujan Stevens or yeah, a Laura Marling song, a piece of poetry that makes you just so much more aware of your humanity and your own oncoming death just by listening to it. Yeah, you're so right about Lalana, how important he is to the way that Klopp wants to play football. Constant running, speed between the lines, never able to figure out where he is on the field. Wonderful footballer. He's Liverpool's Vic Moses. Mm. Yeah, I mean, West Brom are designed to do one thing, one thing only, which is hold on. <laughs> they don't chase games. Yeah. So it's no surprise when Liverpool doubled their lead. Ben Foster shanking, Mane sending Coutinho into the danger zone. Mm. Just loved how he faked out the two West Brom defenders who dove on their bums like my EA Sports FIFA centre-backs. Smashed the ball home. Liverpool seem to have too many weapons on too potent of form with too much tempo for Tony Poulis to kick, mug and suffocate them. Didn't know which one to kick off the field, Davey. They were completely befuddled by the feints, the scoops, the back passes. It was like watching a sci-fi mashup in which mm. space-age fighters battle cavemen. But Liverpool don't keep clean sheets and it got bizarrely close in that second yeah, half. As many games do, and games do against West Brom, who find a way to keep themselves in football games again and again and again. Tony Poulis chucked on Chris Brunt, James Morrison. They just started a bludgeon Liverpool backwards yeah, at Sport Manly. At. Tweeted us, had to correct my wife. She thought she heard someone say tiny poobis. <laughs> but no, it's Tony Poulis. Mm. Happens a lot across America. I bet. I don't know if it did, but he was genius in this game. Changed the balance of the game. Ben Foster stood on his head to repel Liverpool. And Liverpool's backline. I mean, so susceptible to set pieces. West Brom so good at skank. Seven of ten West Brom goals have come from them. And you've got Carrius in goal looking like a better looking Mignolet, but just as dodgy. After Gareth McCauley scored, it was a nervy finish. Klopp's mm. team should have killed this game, but instead, it just ran the emotional gamut from delirium to vulnerability. Slight fear, slight panic, an ultimate victory. True heroes by the end. But for the last 15 minutes, the Anfield faithful begging for that final whistle, which was receiver raptures, Klopp hugs for all. Yeah, amazing, Rog. Seeing Liverpool top of the table on points. It's been a long time uh, since we've uh, seen that. Obviously, third place in goal difference. But Liverpool fans very, very excited about this team. 
uh, and for good reason. One last note, Liverpool under-23s beat Everton 2-0 mm. in what's known as the mini-derby. 19-year-old Brooks Lennon of Paradise Valley, Arizona, headed the winner. <laughs> Huge reports out of Liverpool about Lennon. Real Salt Lake Academy product. The best thing from a Liverpool perspective is that Lennon's dad, do you know what his first name is? Not John. It is. Oh. You may say that he's a dreamer, David. <laughs> Perfect name for Liverpool. Okay, Rog, Arsenal nil, Middlesbrough nil. Arsene Wenger's side dominates possession but can't pick the lock against a well-organised Middlesbrough team that looked dangerous on the counter. Arsenal needed a gaggle of massive saves from Petr Cech to secure the point. Arsenal now in second place. Happy 67th birthday, Arsene. Yeah. A man in search of his seventh straight Premier League win. He didn't find it. This was the kind of banana skin result that's plagued seasons past. 73% of possession but it amounted to nothing against really relegation contenders, Middlesbrough. They yeah. didn't have a lot of the ball, but they did actually outshoot Arsenal and definitely had the better chances. I was impressed by Middlesbrough, actually. Really impressed with how hard they worked, how hard they fought, and they just didn't seem at all awed uh, playing at the Emirates. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal, perhaps post-Champions League heavy legs. Peter Cech was called upon far more than I think he would ever have imagined. Just like, oh, what a behelmeted wonder he was in this game. One highlight, real save after another. One off Traore, who ran half the field at the fastest pace in Premier League history, 23 miles per hour. Wow. That is Usain Bolt speed. Yeah. And Arsenal, without Santi Cazorla, and with, I guess, his lap reinforced by Ozil having a quiet game after his Champions League hat-trick antics, Arsenal just didn't have the ingenuity to crack Middlesbrough's stern organisation. So the best thing about a frustrated Arsenal in this game, their bench. Three double-barrel names, David. Oh. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yeah. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Yeah. Jeff Reina-Adelaide. Yeah. Made it seem like they had far more than the requisite seven players yeah, on there, which is a nice strategy. Yeah. North London derby now looms large, November 6th. Arsenal may be in the lead pack at the top of the table, but Arsene Wenger, God, he sounds already so tired, so exhausted, like Evan Rachel Wood in Westworld. Yeah, as he said before the game, we live in a jungle where everybody wants to eat you and you have to survive by keeping your vigilance. That's what competition is about every day. You have to fight again to survive. I believe that humility is to understand that you start again from zero. God, he's smart. He's a deep thinker, Rog. He's a deep thinker. It's true. We what, do do you think, what do you think Tony Everybody Poulos makes of that? When he's speaking, what do you think Tony Poulos is thinking? <sighs> Pies. <laughs> Maybe. And tracksuits. Uh, OK, Rog, a result for Arsenal fans softened by what happened to their North London rivals as they visited Bournemouth. Bournemouth nil. Tottenham nil. Another clean sheet for Spurs' Premier League leading defence. But a spirited Bournemouth side refuses to let Pochettino's men break through on the other end. Despite not having lost in the league, Spurs sit fifth. They're a point behind City, Arsenal and Liverpool. They trail Chelsea on goal. Difference. Oh, I love these two managers, Dave. And it was a 0-0 draw, but it was fantastic to watch. Yeah. The, the only time Spurs will face a press this tenacious mm. will be when they play themselves in training. It's just hand-to-hand combat. Five yellows in the first half alone. Yeah. And Spurs couldn't break down Bournemouth. With the erratic lamella synapsing, just no creativity up front. Arta Boric barely uh, troubled. And the biggest thrill for Spurs fans was watching Deli Alley nutmeg Jack Wilshire, who incidentally... <laughs> Oh, played 90 minutes of football. I know, amazing. For the first time in 771 days. Yeah, he only smoked four cigarettes at halftime, Rog. (laughs) It was an amazing performance. Spurs could feel blessed to avoid two red cards. Lamella, an ill-advised lunge when he was on a yellow. Oh, Oh, talk about ill-advised. 
the Sissoko elbow, that elbow on Arta. Idiotic. I said last week's 6-1 demolition of Hull may have been more eye-popping for Bournemouth, but this performance against Spurs, who beat them 3-0 and 5-1 last season, to me, that is a true sign of Bournemouth's progress. The kind of progress that's making the Eddie Howe managerial hype train so real. Yeah, they're turning into a very good football team, Rog. For Spurs, frustration. Yeah, they remain the league's only undefeated team. But they get to a point where being an undefeated team, that narrative almost starts to drag. Giving the players something to defend, like a psychic break, it prevents them from doing everything that they yeah. can to win. And those three big points against Manchester City, they've now been followed by four drop points against West Brom and Bournemouth. At the Jam BG tweeted, a prediction, Spurs, undefeated season, yet they still won't win the Premier League. Hmm. Interesting. OK, Rog, Leicester City 3, Crystal Palace 1, the Foxes follow their midweek Champions League victory. How great that was over Copenhagen with an emphatic display at the King Power. Goals from Ahmed Musa, Shinji Okazaki and GFOP Christian Fuchs make Claudio Ranieri's decision to leave Ballon d'Or shortlisted Jamie Vardy on the bench, just a footnote. God, Leicester needed a win. They've done so beautifully in the Champions League, also in the Premier League. And when they needed it most, they caught the most imperious 90 minutes of the season bringing back memories of the giddy wonder that was the last campaign with one big difference, Davo, the dropping of Jamie Vardy. Yeah. The week he made the Ballon d'Or list of 30, but goalless this season in eight games. That was probably the catalyst. It's going to be fascinating to watch how he responds to this challenge, Davo, mm. in a second half of Raging Bull kind of fascinating way. But much to feel good about for Leicester fans. Ahmed Moussa scored his first Premier League goal, the returning Shinji Okazaki, also found the back of the net, how they missed him. And we do, we congratulate Christian Fuchs, GFOP, on that first Premier League goal. Though I am a bit bummed that the New York Giants didn't give him a chance to fill their need of a reliable kicker in every sense of the word. A little child, Christian Fuchs, could have fulfilled his dream. Absolutely, Rog. Uh, West Ham won, Sunderland nil. A tidy turn and long-range finish from New Zealand's own Winston Reid in the goal. game's dying embers sees the Hammers get their second win on the spin. David Moy is likely checking the want ads in his periodical of choice, El Mundo, as Sunderland stays nailed to the bottom of the table with two points from nine games. The only team without a Premier League win this season. Yeah. Oh, David Moy's optics get worse and worse. His yeah, own that... best hope for a goal, Jermaine Defoe, uh, yeah. just threw his manager under the bus going into this game, telling the media, yeah, the club have gone backwards under David Moyes. David Moyes, so chipper after the game in the post-match press conference. I don't remember him being that positive after Everton victories when he used to manage them. He's just so chipper. Uh, Hull City nil. Stoke City 2. Sexy, sexy Stoke back again, Rog. Two sublime goals from Shakiri and Stoke their second win in a row after going winless in their first seven. Hull manager Mike Phelan left to lament his side having taken one point from their last seven games and being hammered in both the games since he was appointed permanent manager. Negative 17 goal difference for him uh, after they won their first two games of the season. My favourite tweet of the weekend after Shakiri's opening goal, at Nola Stokey tweeted us and just said, that beautiful square bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Burnley 2, Everton 1. Oh, I'm sorry, Roger. 90th minute Scott Arfield goal repels Ronald Koeman's side from Fortress Turf Moor. It's just Everton's second loss of the season. They sit sixth, Rog. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling 
dark. Yeah, you were feeling better last week after the draw with Man City. I was, and then this narrative flip. All that exuberant promise of the draw frittered away in a lacklustre performance that just made me want to take my cardi off and burn it. Yeah. The Ronald Koeman rose, oh, the bloom falling off slightly, Davo. Because this game was just a reversion to the narrative of the Bobby Martinez days. Mm. Everton started with Verve. Eight shots in the first 25 minutes. Tom Heaton absolutely blitzkrieged in the Burnley goal. And then Everton's guns were spiked. Poor Martin Stecklenburg crashing back down to earth. Yeah. Oh, he was superhero against City. And in this one, it was his fumble that led to the opener. Everton forced their way back into the game and then conceded the 91st minute winner no wins in four games for Everton just one point from games against Bournemouth Palace and Burnley I'd say I think the destination for us could be mid-table obscurity unless a tactical cohesion is mustered and quickly damn you Dave Fishwick oh you're Burnley I bet they wish they could play Liverpool clubs every week great tweet from at PW is taco one first Leicester then the Cubs and Indians in the World Series Everton Question mark, do you believe in miracles? Yeah, I don't know. It's tough with Everton. They, they just don't appear a dynamic enough team to go and really compete with the top teams in this, uh, in this league, Rog, and not playing dynamic enough football. They do have the capability. I don't understand Lukaku, Rog. I just don't understand his... We were talking about it before when you came in and you said... Oh, I just sometimes think we should maybe sell Romelu Lukaku. And I just said, like, when he looks good, he looks so amazing. But the delta between that and his poor performances, when it doesn't even look as though he's trying, doesn't even look as though he's got quality, um, it's just so great. They need Romelu Lukaku to score lots of goals. They need someone in the centre of midfield, you know, being the dynamo. And uh, I'm not sure that Stecklenburg is the keeper that's going to put them at the elite end of the Premier League. Oh, the only time I felt momentarily happy this weekend about Everton was when I watched the Chicago Cubs make Chicago just erupt in full-throated joy. And I realised, we need to get Theo Epstein to be the general manager of Everton, David. Might be the only hope for Everton to win the league title again in my lifetime. I hope, Theo, if you're listening, please join Everton, but only do so after you GM the US men's soccer team to victory at the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, didn't they bring in the, uh, the Leicester guy, who's the Theo Epstein Steve of Leicester? Yeah. yeah, the two can work together in perfect harmony. <laughs> Absolutely. OK, Rod, Swansea, nil. Watford, nil. A beblazered Bob Bradley earns his first Premier League point on his home debut, despite the point the Swans stay second from bottom. Yeah, watching Swansea City suddenly become must-see TV. And I'll say no one told me watching Swansea City could be so stressful. They're not my team. But I lived and died with every missed pass and snatched half chance. Huge game for Bob. He had that Pyrrhic victory against Arsenal. Needed a solid performance. I say it all began with humour. He told the press, I've already heard I failed the dress test ahead of the game. And in big tactical news, the black mock turtle ditched. In comes the sweater blazer combo. Yeah, a well, black crew neck sweater, that little grey blazer, the little blue Oxford button-down shirt. I thought quite a good look. Yeah, Phil Sock 8 summed it up best. He said, looks like a small college poetry professor. Yeah, it one. was very Banana Republic, Rog. I spoke to Wall Street Journal's Matt Futterman, uh-huh. who reminded me that when Bob was at US Soccer, yeah. there was a constant battle to try and to get him to dress in anything but sweatpants. Uh-huh. Bob wouldn't do it. But one game into his Premier League career... 
and he looked like a man who'd taken that first Premier League paycheck straight down to Agnes B on the Swansea <laughs> High Street. I don't think it was Agnes B, Rod. On the field, changes to five. I don't even think there is an Agnes B on Swansea Agnes High Street. B? Oh, they've got Agnes lovely B. threads. Yeah. It's got lovely little it's more suits. like Agnes Davis. <laughs> uh, on the field, changes to, Davey. Five uh, incomers, among them 22-year-old central defender Alfie Mawson got his debut. Signature of Bob's managerial arc is their willingness to give young players a chance. Bit edgy in the Liberty Stadium. Swansea fans seem as excited about their team right now as Bob Dylan is about the Nobel Prize for Literature. (laughs) It's a plodding first half. Swansea trying to force Watford into mistakes but not able to do anything in transition. It came to life in the second half. Good sign that the club is listening to the manager. They move the ball quicker. Mo Barrow, so lively at the heart of all that's good. Sigurdsson. The new Bradley son hitting the post agonisingly and the Swansea finishing just deserted them down the stretch. I guess a symptom of the lack of confidence which is beset. What was once, a, you can't believe this America, it was once an optimistic club a couple of seasons ago. The dry rot that Bob has to chip away has definitely set in. Huge issue at Swansea is less Bob Bradley, more just this schism between the fans and the new owners, the new American owners, yeah. who are still absolutely furious not to have been consulted on Bob's appointment. And he's so aware of the schism. I mean, he mentions at every opportunity the Jack Army, name checks him in every press conference. And the battle for him is now real. Three points against Stoke, crucial. Four points out of his first nine available is acceptable. One point out of nine would be darkness on the edge of town, Davey. If only Bob starts to wear a tie, David. I think that's what could put them over the top. Well, I mean, that actually is a, uh, that's a good point. Is he going to change his look every single game? So far, two games, two very, very different looks. Are we going to expect him to stick to the blazer, crew neck sweater, button down Oxford combination? Or is he going to go for something completely different? Different look. Yeah, completely. every game. I think, I think everyone listening should tweet Swan- at Swansea with their suggestions for Bob's Garb. Yeah. Just a massive show of support from across this great nation. Yeah. We've been talking about being Bob Bradley for Halloween, Rod, but we, how can we be Bob Bradley for Halloween if we don't? If Bob Bradley doesn't have a signature look? Oh, I might go as Bob Bradley with a Conte hair, haircut. <laughs> Very good. Uh, the the, 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 the bastard son of Bradley and Conte. That's great, Rod. Okay, uh, you can't pick Bob Bradley as a manager in Togger fantasy football, but if you could, we'd like to think this week's MIB Fantasy League winner, Keen Dog FIFA, would have done so. They amassed... 201.5 points behind a stacked midfield of Angolo Kante, Eden Hazard, Shakiri, that square bastard, and Coutinho. <laughs> a special MIB fantasy patch is in the mail, Keen Dog. For those of you not in our league, it's a weekly game. Just download the Togger app on your phone, select your perfect 11, and you'll be all set for next week's game. I can't wait for Bob Bradley to be added in an additional patch for uh, EA Sports FIFA. That will be one of the greatest moments in the history of the game. Absolutely, Rog. Okay, in MLS. MLS. FC Dallas have won the MLS Supporters' Shield. Oscar Perea's men drew nil-nil with the Galaxy (sighs) Sunday to finish two points in front of Colorado. Having already won this year's US Open Cup, Dallas has the chance to join the Fall River Marksmen and Brooke Hatton as the only US teams to do a domestic treble. Oh, FC Dallas, Dave. They are one of the most phenomenal stories in American soccer. I mean, in an MLS reality, in Mm. which teams try and build around big-name DPs, designated players, European imports like Andre Perlo, Kaka, 
Didier and Drogba, or American stars just lured back from Europe's big leagues, Dallas have done the opposite. Oscar Pereja, Colombian, a bloke who believes in American youth even more than I do. And they've invested in this sprawling youth development system, built a team out of a core of young, local, hyper-local, homegrown talent. I'm just so intrigued by what they've done mm. and by Pereja, his philosophy, his motivations. Tomorrow, producers JW and Lexi and Rog, we're heading out to Frisco, Texas. Amazing. We're going to meet with him. We're going to hear his story for a pod special which will come out later this week. I've got to say, I cannot wait. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff, Rog. We should also mention uh, Patrick Vieira. I love that. That celebration, the <sighs> pure joy that he felt when he saw his team uh, secure second place and all of that home field advantage uh, during the playoffs. The job that Vieira has done this season, his first season as a coach in this league, really his first season really coaching, managing a major football team. He's done an incredible job. Such They've a gone human through. moment, yeah, David, watching him on the sideline. Sign of just how much it means to him. We should say New York Red Bulls, best in the East. 16-match unbeaten run to finish the season. And Bradley Wright Phillips, what a wonder. BWP League's top scorer. For England. Uh, the first round of the MLS playoffs you know, is that, Wednesday. That should not be funny. No, I that seriously mean it. So real. No, I was saying it for reals. I think Bradley Wright Phillips should be in the England squad. Yeah, with right Dom now. Dwyer right by him and Jack Harrison in the hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It'd be amazing. The first round of the MLS playoffs is Wednesday and Thursday. England needs Ziggy Schmidt to be their manager. Change yeah. everything. Wednesday, Toronto hosts Philadelphia at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. And LA Galaxy hosts Real Salt Lake. Thursday, DC United hosts Montreal. And Seattle hosts Sporting Kansas City. The latter on FS1 at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. In other news of American consequence. consequence yes. English stat. Three. Yeah. Dortmund. Three. Yeah. Cool. Good game. A game. More than a good game. Almost a biblical epic moment, Davo. Not to blow it out of all proportion, but Christian Pulisic yep. comes on at the half. Scores. With his team stumbling, 2-0 down, 3-1 down, mm-hmm. helps set up a goal with a stumble assist. Scored the equaliser in the dying seconds of injury time. Another huge moment in the still-so-young career of Pulisic. His American marketing muscle. Oh, Dortmund. I don't think they realised it when they turned... They definitely didn't when they took him when he was 15. But suddenly... This huge social media asset for them. And they have something that Bayern Munich doesn't even have, which is an unbelievable asset to engage the American market. I wonder how many Americans are following every Dortmund game now who couldn't care less about Dortmund this time Mm. last year, Davo, and now following week by week every move. This week, Christian Pulisic linked to... Barcelona. By the Spanish press. Meaning that alongside Bob Bradley, Pulisic is making this the golden era in the Americanization of world football. On the other hand, could mean that Christian Pulisic will be on the Stoke bench within two years, David. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. Well, number one, it's just a rumour. Yeah. Number two, if it's true, it's ridiculous. Mm. I mean, it is absolutely... We, we have not seen him play a whole season yet. Yeah. We do not know how his body responds consistently. Mm. It's a lovely little gem. It's a jewel. It makes your nipples tingle when you think yeah. about it. It'd be a terrible move. The winner of the coveted Guinness Men in Blazers, poet, philosopher, soccer scribe, Raven of the Week is Everton. I know you mean, Rog. (laughs) Amy Moriello of Asheville, North Carolina. Rog and Davo, my heart is skipping as I read the undoubtedly incorruptible new UEFA president, Alexander Cheferin, say that he will revive an open bidding process for the right to host the climax to the Champions League. And he is open to the game being staged in New York. 
I think it might be an idea in future, but we have to speak about it, Chefferin said, highlighting how travel times across Europe can be as long as flights to the United States. To go from Portugal to Azerbaijan, for example, is almost the same or the same as if you go to New York. For the fans, it's no problem, but we should see. It's a European competition, so let's think about it. Do you believe we could see a Champions League final take place in the next 10 years in New York City, maybe even on that hallowed rhombus diamond that is Yankee Stadium? Abrogado, rock on, Amy. Yes, is the short answer. I mean, there are complications. FIFA doesn't really like one confederation, in this case UEFA, encroaching on the turf of another, in this case CONCACAF. However, in life, where there's a will... There's a way. And in football, where there's a fleshy, overflowing wallet, there's normally a way too. And in CONCACAF, manila envelopes stuffed full of euros normally make any dream real. So with television ratings, this has been a fascinating story this week in England, just plummeting. In the same way NFL ratings are receding here, football's going to become ever more eager to try new ideas, to take risks, to tap into new markets. There's no market covered right now more than the US. So brace yourself. As GFOP, the radical dream, tweeted us, UEFA Champions League, Centenario, it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. I think it could happen. I mean, New York City might be tough because I don't think there's a stadium in New York City that could really handle it. But over over the river, Rog, under the river, over the river, uh, MetLife, I think that would uh, be a wonderful setting. Fire up the Goodyear blimp. Absolutely, Rog. Okay, your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini. Saturday, Tottenham hosts Leicester at 11am. That's followed by Palace versus Liverpool at 1.30pm. And on Sunday, West Ham visit Everton at 9.30am. All those games on the NBC family of networks. And on Monday, Swansea playing Stoke. Followed by, oh, even worse than Stoke, Men in Blazers. Yeah. 6.30. Yeah. Halloween. Halloween, Mike Myers. Well, Mike Myers will be good. Mike Myers will be good. And in MLS, a quadruple header of conference semifinals kicks off Sunday at 3.30 with the first two games on ESPN and the latter two on FS1. The MLS scriptwriters are running right up to their deadline this week, so we don't know exactly what those matchups will be until after this pod drops. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium. It helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon, find it's big or small. Just click off the Emporium page. Many places get a tiny percentage. It allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week? Roger. Forever Young, the mm. story of Adrian Doherty, football's lost genius by the amazing Oliver Kay. Oh, the true story Great of a writer. young Northern Irish football prospect who was on the brink of stardom at Manchester United in the late 80s, uh-huh. early 90s. He was a teenage prodigy on par with Ryan Giggs before a knee injury cut his career short by the age of 26. Shockingly, he was dead. Oof. I mean, it's a story, if you've not, if you've not heard of him, There's a reason for that. He's been airbrushed out of Manchester United history. But football scouts saw him as the next George Best. He wanted to be the next Bob Dylan. He preferred to go busking in the East Village rather than play football. Oliver Kay, the Times writer, Mm. is a real craftsman. I've got to say, one of the things I love about it is that he could have gone the easy route, Kay, and written a routine bio of Pep or Arsene that would have made huge amounts of money, but instead dedicated himself for five years to save this amazing human story that tells you more about football and its inner workings than you probably would ever want to know. It's truly, truly a tragic but wonderful piece of writing. Uh, Rog, I was in Vegas uh, last week for the debates and my trip was really just made extraordinary, relaxing and uh, memorable 
uh, by the product that I'm putting in the Emporium this week, Rog, the Toto MS9170 CEMFG uh, hashtag 01 1.28 GPF wash jet with integrated toilet, the G500 uh, in the cotton color from Toto, uh, Rog. You know, when I went to Japan in 2002, I was very intimidated by these very high-tech Japanese toilets with the warming seats, with the wash jets that give you a bit of front, give you a bit of rear, uh, the dryers that come on, music, all sorts of other effects that they have, remote controls that operate the whole thing. I used one as my desk chat. And I didn't really, I didn't really get into them. But this weekend at my, uh, at my uh, uh, hotel room at the Aria uh, in Vegas, had one of these toilets. Honestly, changed my life. I'm ordering them for all my homes. Rog, I'm ordering, I'm ordering about 15 of these uh, Toto Japanese toilets. They are absolutely amazing. A bargain at $1,908 and change. Uh, putting them in the Emporium. Poor. Change your life. Buy a Toto Japanese toilet. You can drink out that water jet while you're doing your business. <laughs> you can. Rog, visit meninblazers.com <laughs> to sign you up. Probably don't want <laughs> you to. probably don't want to for our newsletter. You can fill it with Guinness, uh, which we produce with our partner. I'll oh, talk to you of Guinness with our partner, Guinness. Follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at embassy davis, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at meninblazers, at embassy underscore davis, on Facebook, meninblazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Matumbo? Explosion. Courage. Take that, Bruce. Is that your analysis? To tweed and cardies. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, Davey. Love you, Rog. Can you imagine if Jennifer Aniston does a crossover with the Cars for Kids kids? In in an Emirates commercial. (laughs) That would be amazing.